Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Three. Two, one. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Food for Thought, a <laughs> podcast gab fest. We're in a multiracial mix of queer writers gather around the table to talk about sex, <laughs> identity, <laughs> culture, <sighs> what we like to read, and who we like to read. <laughs> <laughs> Full ASMR. Food yes. for Thought. Come nibble on our poo-poo platter. No, 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 no. This was not pre-approved. Uh, I'm leaving. Tommy Teeps Pico Thomas. I'm leaving. I am Tommy Teeps Pico, an indigenous American poet, screenwriter, and I have to drink a fucking Bon and Viv in the studio today because all you bitches out there gobbled up all the white cloths. I don't get any thank more. God. This is indigenous thank, thank theft. I, I would you, like to say white thank, cloth thank shortage. Thank you, Thoughts, for your service. <laughs> I'm Fran. I'm a writer, editor, and it's Scorpio season, so watch out because <laughs> I... I don't have a ton of Scorpio on my coming. chart, but I got enough. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna deal with it. <laughs> revenge sex. Oh, That's god. oh my god, Scorpios are amazing at revenge sex. Can can it's literally the only type of sex they have. Tbh, Absolutely. yes, yeah, it's yeah. truly a spiritual huh, experience. Can try that. <laughs> I am Dennis Norris II, and I'm a reader and writer, a former figure skater, and I am loudly bottoming my way to the top. Oh, uh, to the middle. She is. <laughs> to, the middle. to the middle. Bitch, she's oh. still in her ascendancy. Oh. <laughs> Get in line. She's moving on up. She is. I am Joseph Osmondson, scientist, nonfiction writer, and frankly, I am the Jackson Pollock of coming on butts. No, oh, I told you don't God. make it disgusting, Joe. <laughs> we are we are, are canceled. We're done. We're done. Um, we're recording remotely Ooh. right now. Tommy mm. is in Los Angeles, and me, Joe, Dennis are in New York. But you would never know. You that. would never know through the it magic of technology. <laughs> yes, but it is kind of weird. Like Tommy's just on this screen, looking at us, and looming above us, and picking my nose every now and then, forgetting <laughs> that uh, just because I'm alone in the studio doesn't mean nobody can see me. <laughs> Your skin is luminescent. You look 22 years old, per usual. Oh, thank you. Also, yeah. isn't that my eternal age? I was, you, I was, I've been 23 my whole life. Um, so when I was in fifth grade, I was quite precocious, and now I'm extremely immature. <laughs> <laughs> That's a that is a pre-can line. Also, Tommy being alone in the studio is like his wet dream. Like Tommy is yeah, just like the people it's, are, it's always are like the people are 3,000 miles from me. Amazing. <laughs> Sign. Is, me oh my god! I know. I can life. let it all out finally. I don't have to have all these intimacy issues. <laughs> Next to me, I know, and you can just fart it up. I I was just gonna say, I can only imagine how that studio smells. Fill the the studio with your smart, with your smart, smart. (laughs) It's also like Tommy's like on this big screen, and we're just sitting here looking up. I feel like it's like Charlie's Angel. Totally, and there's two pairs of eyes on the screen because there's Tommy's eyes, and then there's just the top of Tommy's Sade T-shirt. Right. So we're seeing her bangs and her eyes. Right. It's fabulous. I'd like to say that finally, four years in, friend, finally. 
finally knows who Sade is. Oh. <laughs> Will this joke not rest? Never. It's been four seasons. <laughs> never. I will not. You'll never live it down. Will you, can you tell us what we have on the menu this week? All right, babies. In our episode today, we are working girls. This show is all about jobs and careers. For our amuse bouche, we get into white culture. Sorry. And then I sit down across the table from the dreamy, the perfect, the intelligent, the ideal Melissa Phoebos. And for dessert, we go high. I'm feeling a little bit peckish. I think it's time we start the top of this show the way any good top should with our uproarious appetizer segment, Amuse Bouche. And to amuse our bouches today, uh, Joe, is this your game? Yeah, it is. I mean, um, it has to be. I, like, I, I just, I'm so sorry, everybody. Today we're going to play another rousing round of Sounds About White, wherein <laughs> I dive deep into headlines on a whiteness. and then re- actual news. Headline. Or or fake ones that I made up. Oh, or and fake and, ones. and we Love all and, and we have to guess. You have to guess whether this was something that white people had the audacity to do. Okay, okay. Um, oh I'm ready to be. I'm so ready. Okay, yes. are, are we ready? Lying sounds we're gonna start about white. Joe, I should probably so. pop a Xanax. <laughs> Just look at get Xanax is not gonna so be a lot. <laughs> it's like ooh, white supremacy in your face. Number one, Laura Ingram tries to drink yeah. light bulb stuffed steak to trigger liberals. I immediately <laughs> thought of Laura Ingalls Wilder. And that's not <laughs> who that is. That's but imagine for a second that it was. Fox News is Laura Ingram. <laughs> Laura Ingalls. Fo- Fox News is Laura Ingalls Wilder. <laughs> wait, we know that she would. Like, she would. If Laura oh Ingalls God. Wilder were alive today. Wait, is she alive today? She is not. Okay. She, oh. she would. I mean, I actually don't know it's anything a, about the, her life. The pioneer is the frontier. Yeah. 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 She was like a Western expansionist. Yeah. Was she a writer or an? I don't know. She was I don't a writer. Know. Okay. The a writer. The, um, Little House on the Little Prairie. Little House on the Prairie. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So she, she probably would. I, I, I wouldn't hold this beyond Laura Ingram to be honest. But I would imagine that the true headline would be that she would just eat steak and think that that would trigger liberals. How just plain old steak. So many words in this headline that are confusing. To yes. Me. There's the I don't get it. Light her, bulb yeah. stuffed steak. Drink but her steak entire experience through a straw. Drink yeah. light yes. bulb. Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. I want to say it's too crazy to be fake. It's real. Yeah, I it's Laura Ingram in general is too crazy to be fake. Yeah. I, 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 but like, I still I don't really understand what that means. And so I uh, think that's I mean, it still sounds about white, you know, it's, it, and it, it, does, it, it sounds, sounds white, like her yeah. verdict yeah. is sounds about white. She sounds absolutely white. did this on her TV show, what? did a performance art piece where she attempts to drink a steak through a straw. And also it has light bulbs in it because of, uh, you know, to trigger liberals because we hate all of those things because of regulation. This is like when a, the earth is this a, like crack? Up light bulbs? I feel like no, no. It, it's just like a steak with light bulbs and I straws. Just, I'm having it. conceptual difficulties. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It sounds like she's mixing her metaphors like, a little bit. Like, too would, much. Would, would that not slit your throat? I mean, she it. didn't actually drink the steak, Dennis. Like, Why? it didn't. The steak did not it's liquefy so and go through the straw. <laughs> I'm so confused. Yeah. All right, here's a, a good one. Number two, Bill Maher says we should start fat shaming again. Hmm. Is that real or is that fake? I want to say it's real. I want to say it's real. 
I think he'll, he'll I, he probably says I, something like everyone should be healthy. No lows to which he won't stoop. Yeah, exactly. I f- I fully believe that that's a real headline. No. Absolutely. Nothing. Yeah, nothing that comes out of Bill Maher's mouth ever surprises me anymore. Really. Yeah. Why? So it is real. Oh. And why is he still on TV? Like literally, why? I, a lot. Why are a lot of people on I mean, TV? I just honestly. like you know it, like in the what it started. The show was in the '90s, I think, right? Or the aughts? For yeah, sure. that was what politically and incorrect. Politically incorrect. Like why is he? Still, and he has that horrible Ann Coulter woman on. Oh my it's god! It's just like a platform yeah. for fashion. It's very bizarre to me. Well, yeah. back he the- looks like one of the white chicks. Yo, <laughs> my god! He, he really is very absurd looking. He really is a very strange looking man. It's true, and his wow. hair isn't a lot better than than the current occupant of the White Houses. So that's a thing. I, I think he has no business saying that we should be shaming anyone about anything. Wow. Appearance related so next up we have man wears fuck the police shirt to court but wins case anyway oh white a white guy um sounds about white I believe <laughs> it sounds <laughs> about white especially especially if it if it happened in florida i think that's entirely <laughs> Plausible. Yeah, none of these are beyond the pale, if you would. And probably beyond the pale. <laughs> and probably all of them happened in Florida. <laughs> what hasn't happened in Florida? Truly. Um, this fully, the full headline. I erased the Florida because I felt like it made it too easy, but the full headline is Florida man wears fuck the police shirt to court, but wins case anyway. So, no, but, but you know what? That well could happen spotted. anywhere. Honestly, that could happen in Brooklyn. Mm-mm. Like that could, ha- that could happen mm. truly anywhere. Mm. Next up. Fluff piece, how Karen McLean started an avocado toast empire. Ugh, sounds about white. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Karen. I mean, you know what? Get yours. Karen. It's just Karen. Um, I'm going to say this is fake. I'm going to say this is of your mind. <laughs> no, I, I would too, because the name Karen McClain is too white. Yes, That's it's too white. I agree. No one would ever have It's such only from a white the white name. imagination. Yeah, I fully only from the white that. imagination. I fully believe that Karen would be real, but McClain is just too on the nose. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, yeah. I did fully make this one. Yes. Yes. I hate you. Yes. I hate you and your knowledge of white. That said, if we look if we look hard enough, I bet we can find a fluff piece on the origins of avocado toast. Attributing it to white. Oh, for sure, for sure, for sure. Uh, Absolutely. Well they did invent it. Australia. (laughs) And we have my daughter prayed to Alexa. Here's the incredible thing that happened next. Okay, mm, so sounds about they, white. This, <laughs> this woman got something right, which is that she needs Jesus. <laughs> she needs to fucking pray. I'm not sure that she exactly um, prayed to the right entity there, but um, I would yeah. say that that is. I mean, Alexa well, is way more real than Jesus. That actually could be. Alexa that, answers your could yeah. be another Joeism. I feel. <laughs> I think. Yeah. I I feel like Joe made this one up. This is. Real? No, no, it's not. This fully sounds about white. Yeah. Just, what's I mean, the incredible thing that happened next? Uh, yes, that's. I mean, I don't, I could, we could find out. Let me. Let's. Let I me. Did, let's I did not research. I headlined alone. <laughs> I am ashamed of myself. Wait, did it her, sounds did about her white. Oh, wait, daughter, suddenly give up her love of pumpkin spice lattes and avocado toast. No. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Is the daughter you, Dennis? Is the yes, daughter you? Daughter is me, <laughs> and I'm here to report that I still love avocado toast and pumpkin spice lattes. This is on FoxNews.com. The most of meaningful. 
parenting experiences often come from the unplanned organic moments in life. Oh. The problem is all the interruptions of our always connected society can cause us to miss out on teaching and learning some incredible lessons with our children and grandchildren. So I, I, I think uh, that the Alexa taught the girl to pray. About Jesus. Yeah, no, I yeah. remember this article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It literally yeah. is that Alexa uh, is is not God. But, yeah. But she got to know actual God. Yeah, it's quite a lot. And she could have just taken her to church for that. Come on mm. now. It's a lot. Alexa was just doing her job. All right. Another example of a white person getting credit for something they didn't do. Next up. <laughs> Help! Exclamation point! Mm. Is it okay that my friend sampled expensive nuts at the grocery store and didn't buy any? <laughs> oh, that is so white. Who hasn't sampled I, a nut? I mean, <laughs> I've definitely yikes. sampled some expensive nuts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just kidding. I actually, ha- I mean, I love like the the the, the one linerness of that, but I have never sucked. Uh, uh, the nut of anybody who was very wealthy. So that's oh. kind of... I thought oh, you meant you paid for the nut. Hi. Well, I was I have, trying to create a double entendre. I, I have paid to suck a dick before. I, what? Uh, <laughs> I have fully not, but I certainly have and sucked I've some been paid. I would love to. I would love to try it. I would like to see it. <laughs> I would like to see um, it. But, figure out if um, it's ergonomically I, correct. I mean, is this... A moral quandary. This is, is white this, people's moral quandary. This is just yeah. Joe. This is just Joe's moral quandary. We, meanwhile, the planet this. is melting, I, uh, and white people are worried about like, stealing nuts sampling, from Whole Foods. I but here's the thing. Here's happened. the thing. Here's the thing. Actually, let me let me let's let's play devil's advocate here. Pine nuts are expensive. They're very as expensive. Hell. Yeah, yeah. Like those things are like twenty five bucks a pound. I think when really the, when the yes. U.S. economy folds, we're gonna go off the the gold standard like, and go to the pine yep. nut standard. Pine nut. They are so expensive. Macadamia. Mm-hmm. Oh, macadamia. Those can really get up. They, those can really so like get one up nut <sighs> might be a buck or two. You Brazil know? nuts, which are gross. Brazil nuts are gross. Are gross, I've but those can get expensive as well. I would love a Brazil nut. You would love a Brazil nut. I love a nut in Brazil. Brazil. How about that? Um, um, yeah, no. I and ca- apparently cashews are getting up there. I've I've read cashews are expensive. Oh, cashews, cashews, are expensive. cashews yeah. are also the fattiest nut. The, be- the with the best fat content. I just want to say these yeah. words without context. Nut butter. That's all. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. god! I can't. I so I so maybe think, you did write this. <laughs> no, I did not. This one is real. I, I fully, oh my god! It's real. It is fully, fully. Wow. Fully I remember real. going to the grocery store I didn't in high even, school. I didn't even know there were expensive nuts. I just get the mixed nuts in the planners thing i didn't really oh even so when he God. said expensive i was like no this is fake because there's no such thing as an expensive nut they all cost two dollars oh, so and it comes all together okay, at Costco. So tommy i'm gonna in, induct you into bougie nut life <laughs> bougie <Yeah. nuts. laughs> i've been here for years <laughs> and get i would that love bougie to nut. welcome <laughs> welcome yeah. to whiteness well yeah um next up if you're striving to be a more compassionate and grateful person, and I mean what white person is not, mm-hmm. check out these 21 highly reviewed things on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Only uh, white people I, need a checklist. It sounds to be about decent. white, but I I think Joe made this one up. <laughs> what uh, what I think is like what is on that list? Like is it like <laughs> that's what the I want to Bible? Know. <laughs> like what like what else like makes me? I mean, what makes you a more compa- What what products make you more compassionate? Like all the uh, fair Laura trade Mercier things. tinted moisturizer. Uh, <laughs> I'd be like, um, do they sell weed on Amazon? Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god. That, that is it. I feel like Joe made this one up. It also because it brings very, Amazon like, into it. Ant- yeah, it's anti-capitalist. It yeah, this yeah, does yeah. sound like yeah, me being anti-capitalist. Like but no, it is not a Joe-written parody. It is a self-parody. It no! is real. Oh, my God. Bustle.com. Wow. wow. Fran, can you tell wow. us what some of the things are on yeah. the list, please? 
So it looks like we have um, a fitness tracker. Yeah, that, oh. We have some essential oils. <laughs> Ooh, okay, a gratitude Ooh. journal. <laughs> Love that. Wow. Um, wow. Marx's capital. Uh, there's <laughs> no, um, no, no, capital is not on the list. A lot of self-help books written by white people. <laughs> A silver-plated bracelet with movable beads. Oh, what I does, love what does, movable what beads. What does that do? What does Joe loves a movable do? bead moment. Lo- I love, Joe I love loves um, a bead. Uh, a movable anal bead. Yes, That is how I get my gratitude on. Wow, now I'm I'm sold. I want some of these things. Oh my god, a Buddha board. Remember the Buddha I board. The Buddha board. I will. Wow, those was this are... was this article written by Marianne Williamson? Ah! I mean, if it was, I would probably click. Is this, is this her agenda for her first day? Yeah, like, honestly, day one in the office. Day one in the office. Um, I have next up Taylor Swift trying to sue Microsoft over the chatbot Tay because this name was too similar to hers. The chatbot Tay. Oh, my There's a chatbot named Tay. There's and a chatbot named was Tay. Like, no. And Taylor Swift tried to sue because... Uh, it was similar to her name, which is Taylor. Mm. Tommy, what do you think? Uh, it sounds about white, but I don't know <laughs> if it's true. But it sounds yeah. about white. Uh, I hope is? I hope it's it's false, but I can believe it. I'm going to say sounds about white. It's true. Uh, so this is absolutely true, and I thought it was oh. incredible because the chatbot Tay Taylor didn't get to sue because she didn't have standing because the chatbot Tay was taken online after 24 hours for becoming too racist. Oh my God! The yeah, chat. Yes. So that is wow. really where yes. the alignment exactly that, yeah, goes yeah, in. Exactly. That's so it. maybe That's preemptively it. Taylor's people were like, "Oh shit, know <laughs> we need to sue." Yep. yep. No, no, no. I, she tried to sue before it went I racist. Know, I know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. All right, all right. Last up, last last one, last one. This is like, whew. White woman writes online review criticizing plantation tour for focusing too much on slavery. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, oh. that's, that's absolutely true. I mean, that sounds about white, and I believe that's absolutely true. <laughs> she came here for the centuries-old armoire. <laughs> she came wanted, here for the antiques. She wanted a tour of the grounds. She wanted to learn about the plants. She wanted to see the drawing room. <laughs> she wanted to understand how just the slaves were so well-treated that yes. they wanted to stay. They loved it. She, um, she wanted to hear how happy they were, absolutely. Well, because she was like, oh, it's my vacation. I don't want to hear anything depressing. <laughs> <laughs> she writes, indeed, she writes, I am by far not a racist or against all Americans having equal rights. But this was my vacation, and now we are all cross we are crossing all plantation tours off the list. It was just not what we expected. I'll go back to Louisiana and see some real plantations that are just so much more enjoyable to tour. She said, we didn't come to hear a lecture on how white people treated the slaves. We came to get this history of a southern plantation and to get a tour of the house and grounds. The tour guide was so radical about slave treatment, and we felt like we were being lectured and bashed about the slavery. <sighs> wow. Oh, so the real headline is like how slavery ruined one white <laughs> yes. <woman>. Afternoon. Poorly <laughs> planned vacation. Afternoon, yes. Yeah. Slavery was very inconvenient <laughs> for, for her. For, for Karen's for Karen. afternoon. Sorry, Karen. Sorry, Karen. Karen McLean. Karen McLean, yes. Oh, we're so God. sorry for the inconvenience. Wow, wow. I'm really disappointed to find out that wow. those were almost all entirely real. Wow. Correct. Oh, and my I God. dispatches from white culture. I am so sorry, everybody. Oh Get God. your people to oh, reparations wow. now. <laughs>
All right, thoughts. I am in the studio today with Melissa Phoebos, queer icon, style icon, author of two books of nonfiction and all American badass. This is our very first thought you should know where we actually just sit down one on one with a writer or other creative person that we adore and want to introduce you to and make sure you know their work. Melissa has an MFA from Sarah Lawrence and wrote her first book, Whip Smart, about working as a dominatrix during her undergrad years at the New School. Her writing digs up some things that too often stay hidden under the surface addiction, gay sex, rejection, complex family dynamics, and abandonment issues. I don't know anything about those. But okay, <laughs> we're going to get really into all of that mess, but I wanted to start some, with something a little bit lighter just to get the juices flowing. All right. So from this list that I'm going to read off of two things each, you have to pick one. And it's, oh it is God, kind I of like love quizzes. It is kind of like the thing you want like best, but I just want the quick gut reaction. Okay. All right. Some of them okay. are going to be tricky. All right. Okay. Rihanna or Beyonce? Ah! I know, I know. Why would you do I'm that so to sorry. Me? I thought this was a safe space. <laughs> this is homophobic. I really apologize. <laughs> what is it? Oh my god! You know, I, I, m- the answer that I would have given you with thought is Beyonce, but my gut said Rihanna. When oh, you that asked is, me that question. That is fair. You're like a Beyonce son, Rihanna rising. That's right. <laughs> fair, fair. Summer or winter? Summer. Poetry or fiction? Fiction. <laughs> Boxers or briefs? Oh, briefs. Ooh, sexy. Michael <laughs> Michael or Janet? Janet. Yeah, absolutely. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Butch or femme? That's my answer. A sigh. A long sigh. I will, I will allow you to plead the fifth on that one. All right. This one is the meanest. Alexander Chi or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? Chi. Ocasio-Cortez wow. has gone in for Bernie. I know. <laughs> wow. I thought it was going to be controversial, but it no. was not. And last one. Also, Chi is going to listen to this podcast. I know, I AOC know. is she unlikely. <laughs> Finally, top or bottom? Bottom. <laughs> a writer <laughs> you wouldn't say all right okay thoughts that was really fun let's get into it you've written two books um one memoir and a memoir in essays is that mm-hmm. you call your second book abandon me and frankly as someone with a deep abandonment issues i relate you write about the main relationship in the book i'm quoting here i suffer a kind of emotional object impermanence out of sight out of existence first off how fucking dare you? <laughs> Second, um, and then later you say something is dramatic but not untrue. Can you talk a little bit about this tension, about how some of our most profound feelings like grief, love, and lust are sort of inherently like camp and dramatic, mm-hmm. but we're kind of told not to mm-hmm. act on the, those feelings or write about them? Yeah. I mean, it's been my experience that a lot of writers, certainly memoirists, maybe artists in general, mm. definitely queers, are people who were told that we were too much when exactly. we were younger. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes we were more than other people. <laughs> Frankly, sometimes <laughs> we are too much. sometimes we are a lot. <laughs> there is a surplus of us. Um, but I also think that a big part of that comes from our feelings and experiences being seen as intolerable or unacceptable, right? right? right, right. And Mm -hmm. that is so easy to 
internalized when you're young. And I didn't get that from my family so much as mm. I did, I think, from my culture. And just, you know, I could not deal with the fact that we had sort of human life out here, the rules and stories by which we defined our existence, and then our internal existence, which seemed right. in many ways to directly defy <laughs> what we were saying life was. Right, right, and I remember right. being a really little kid and being like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> you know, uh, and that's terrifying because yeah. it it's so easy to think that you're the only one having this mm. internal experience that is a whirling vortex of, you know, uh, a channel to the sublime that is like oh both terrifying God. and erotic <laughs> and overwhelming and gorgeous, yeah. right? Like I was having this experience with art and music and nature and my feelings for other people. And it was mm -hmm. very real and not a performance. Mm -hmm. um, and so I do think like for me, writing my own experiences is this sort of redemptive act of putting words to the things that it seemed were unspeakable when mm -hmm. I was a kid. Mm -hmm. so, and you actually say that it's easier for you, you say in, in Abandon Me, that it's easier for you sometimes to say things in writing than out loud. And Almost you mentioned... always. I'm like the same, but I'm, I'm, I'm working on it in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, deeply, deeply working on it. You also talk about... Um, like writing in real time to understand the world. Um, does writing help us with living? Could you be a living human being if you weren't writing all the time, even if it weren't a profession or a thing that you did? No. <laughs> <laughs> Next I mean, question. I, I really think, I think to a really large extent, I would not be living and possibly to um, the most literal extent yeah. of that word, I wouldn't, I'm, because my natural drives are so can be so extreme mm. that they are life imperiling, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and writing is one of the ways that I check them. Right. right. Is that I find I complicate things. I find levity in things. Oh. I settle down and sort of left to my own devices. My feelings are, can be so overwhelming that I will do just about anything to get out of them, mm -hmm. which is sort of ironic because I think memoirists and I mean, I can just speak for myself. A lot of times people come to me with a preconceived notion of me as someone who's constantly processing and in therapy and talking about stuff and so integrated and grounded. And that's actually the opposite. Like I do all of those things because it is the opposite of my nature. Right. And so writing is something I do to keep myself grounded, to yeah. keep myself awake inside myself, to know what I think about right. anything. Because otherwise, I would just be like banging heroin and inappropriate people and watching television and eating gummy peach rings yeah. three meals a day. Oh, my God. It's, it's funny you mentioned gummy pe peach rings. Uh, I actually was talking to Tommy about his most recent book, which is also about sort of um, holding oneself more accountable to a, mm -hmm. an adult life in ways mm -hmm. not that are heteropatriarchal, but that make sense for our own bodies. Right. And one thing that he mentioned in that conversation is that when you write something down publicly, mm -hmm. you're sort of accountable to it. Mm -hmm. It's like now if people see me out yep. at Popeye's, yep. they're like, binge, <laughs> didn't you write a book that was like, I'm not eating Popeye's that much yeah. anymore? No, it's you absolutely well? true. And I feel that that's true even in a private sense. If I write something down and no one else sees it, mm -hmm. it is real in a way that it never is if it's just in my head, mm -hmm. a thought in my head or an internal knowledge that, you know, I can trick myself into thinking that something I'm using to um, escape or numb myself is good for me or I deserve right, it, right. Um, which is not to say that that's never true, <laughs> um, but I can make up 
basically any story that I want about mm. anything. I can mm -hmm. manipulate anything that I know in my gut is true in the privacy of my own mind, mm -hmm. at least for a temporary period. Mm -hmm. But once I write it down, the truth, mm -hmm. I can't forget it again. It's sort mm. of like, you know, people in AA say that AA pisses in your beer. And it's like telling the <laughs> truth pisses in your lie. Do you I know what I mean? <laughs> it's like once you admit it, it's like, you know, when well, you're in a shitty relationship yeah. and you're like, you can't, if you say to a friend or even write in your diary, yeah. like, this shit is fucked up. I actually know that. Yeah. It's really hard to go back to being like, no, it's great. Yeah. This is love. Well, and I actually wrote my book about my abusive relationship to keep him gone because mm -hmm. I knew if I wrote about it publicly, he wouldn't talk to me anymore. Absolutely. So I sort of wouldn't give myself the option yep. of taking yep. him back, which is deeply <laughs> fucked up. Like, is Making how much them I hate you for life is a really good <laughs> it's repellent. Like, it's like how much I fucking trust myself, yep. which is zero. Yep. Oh, it's really bad. Um, <laughs> In Whipsmart, you're especially I feel like well throughout the book, you talk about how your fear of rejection leads you in some really nasty headspaces. I see that a little bit less in Abandon Me, particularly mm -hmm. towards the end. That's kind of the process of mm -hmm. Abandon Me, perhaps. Mm -hmm. How have you taken rejection in love, friendship, mm -hmm. sex, or art and writing and turned it into something that's more manageable for you? Yeah. I don't know if I can answer that exactly. <laughs> what I know is that I feel deeply committed to having a life that is not governed by avoiding the things I fear, mm. which is to say, when I was younger, I deeply feared rejection. Mm -hmm. I deeply feared being vulnerable. And so that was the measure of what relationships I chose to be in, of what ways I chose to risk myself. Mm -hmm. And it makes a really small life. It yeah. makes a life that's not really your own, yeah. right? When when you're not making choices based on who you actually are, what you actually want, mm -hmm. or whom you truly love, right? right? Um, and I no longer do that in my mm -hmm. relationships. And um, and I don't think I do it professionally either. Yeah. Like, it fucking hurts. Yeah. Like, there is no way to not be hurt by rejection. Um, yeah. But I've spent a lot of time sort of reframing my experience of it. Mm. And, you know, this a good example of this maybe is my relationship to book reviews, mm. right? Which every writer is terrorized by. You know what I mean? We're all terrorized by reviews. Like, everyone I know who's published a book uh, has this, like— mounting anxiety when they're going to publish another book because it's, you know, it is the sentences, the few cruel or incorrect or even mm -hmm. slightly shady sentences about our work that are forever engraved on our egos, right? right, right? right, right, right. Um, and I had that experience with my first book and have since made a very conscious study of sort of reframing my relationship to them mm -hmm. because I just like, I thought this is not right. Like mm -hmm. this is perverse that I should... <laughs> outsource my self-esteem and emotional experience to total strangers whose qualifications I do not recognize. Right. <laughs> In no other area of my life do I do right. that. Like, I have already vetted <laughs> and chosen the people whose esteem I care about. And right. that includes, like, my partner, my friends, my mentors, yeah. my editor, yeah. my whoever, my agent, you right. know. And all of those people have read my work and are honest with me and believe in me and understand yeah. what I'm trying to do. And, like, 
I really think the buck should stop there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And when it goes out into the world and all of these other people bring their own bullshit to it, like that's fine, but it's not really any of my business. And it certainly shouldn't have anything to do with my own relationship to my work. Right. right? right, right, right. Um, and that's like easier said than done. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do think that sort of our um, – the context in which we view our own experience and our own work and our own anxieties is is – um, something that we can build a muscle to have more mm. control over, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm not interested in sort of um, being dragged around by those feelings when I work as hard as I do on my own work, you yeah. know? So I try to really protect my relationship to my work and keep it separate. To end, I just want to, you mentioned a third book. Mm-hmm. I would love if you can, if you're willing, mm-hmm. to share with the thoughts what you're working on, when they can meet it, what mm-hmm. and what you're excited about coming up. Um, so I am finishing an essay collection that's called Girlhood, and it's coming out about a year from now, a little okay. bit more than a year from now, in uh, early 2021. Mm-hmm. And it's basically about the nightmare of adolescence. Oh, God. Oh, right? God. I'm, I'm going to be crying <laughs> in the corner. I know. It's really sort of about um, – what it is like to develop as a sexual human being Mm -hmm. in our incredibly fucked up and perverse world Mm -hmm. and sort of the number that it does on our thinking and our relationship to our own bodies um, and the work that it takes to undo that and to sort of refurbish our sense of self Mm. as adults, Mm. right, which I do believe is possible. So it is – Hopeful. It's, it's both terrifying and hopeful. Yeah, but how I, have, how I have gone from a, um, you know, a patriarchal model of self-loathing and self-erasure to the erotic <sighs> splendor of uh, my lesbian God, today. So, could you imagine being straight? <laughs> what a nightmare. I can. And it looks horrible. Oh, horrible. Oh, man. I'm so glad. Sometimes I hang out with straight people and I'm like. I have to go home now because I feel like it's rubbing off. No, I need to take a shower. Get it off. Get it off. Like you can't. You have to live to have to have to live that fully within those frameworks. Looks like you could just never be free. Yeah. I mean, not none of us can ever be free, but you could be just so much less free. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Well, Melissa Phoebos, thank you so much for coming. The books are Whip Smart and Abandon Me. They're both available now. And then next year it is Girlhood. Thank you so much. Thank this you. has been a total joy. Oh, so glad to have had you. Thank you. This message comes from iHeartRadio sponsor, Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should really think about getting a quote from Mercury because Californians save an average of $677 with Mercury. It's quick and easy, and in just a few minutes, you might find you could save a lot of money on your auto and home insurance. Plus, Mercury was named one of America's best insurance companies by Insure.com four years in a row. Low rates, big discounts, great insurance. Go to MercuryInsurance.com today to get a quote. It's crazy how much we have to pay for outdated, impersonal health care, and even crazier that we all just accept it. It's time to face facts. Health care is backwards. Luckily, there's forward a new approach to primary care that's surprisingly personal and refreshingly straightforward. Forward never makes you feel like just another patient. Backed by top-rated doctors and the latest tech, Forward gives you access to personalized care whenever you need it. Using in-depth genetic analysis and real-time blood work, Forward's top-rated doctors provide you with in-depth insights to better understand your genetics, mental, and physical health. They then create custom, easy-to-understand plans to help guide you to achieving long-term health. With Forward, 
you get unlimited in-person visits with your doctor and access to care anytime via the Forward app, all for one flat monthly fee. It's time to stop accepting backwards health care and start moving your health forward. Visit GoForward.com today to learn more. That's GoForward.com. Mmm, it's time we move to the meat of our conversation, the thought process spelled T-H-O-T. And this week, uh, what do you got for us, Joe? Yeah, today we are talking about a thing that because of capitalism, we all have to deal with. Mm. Careers, mm, not right? Me. Mm-hmm. I hate careers. I hate jobs. I've never had nine one. to five. You hate working. Working nine to five. So I can't sing. But, you know, I think <laughs> careers are really challenging for us. All of us in this room uh, do creative work, right? Mm-hmm. Creative work notoriously and pays. Balls. Pay. And- <laughs> Exactly. Thank you, Creative work and boss. We're always bringing it home there. Yeah. Uh, Creative work notoriously doesn't pay. Or a very small number of people make a very good living and everyone else makes essentially nothing, right? So Mm. how do we balance sort of the work that we want to do for our creative careers with the necessities of having a life and a living? How do we have health care? How do we have a retirement fund? I mean, what even is retirement these days? You know, and what choices do we make? How do we balance, you know, our aspirations to write books, to make a podcast, to write movies with our necessities to pay our bills right uh, and and I kind of want to um, start the conversation with you thoughts with a question about what was your what what was one time that you can think of that you made a decision that was seemingly very impractical where like people might have judged you or you might have even judged yourself and said no like that is dumb mm-hmm. but oh my god Oof. but but you made that decision anyway well, the episode can run on for like four hours. Then. <laughs> oh, are we lost culture now? Oh, my God. <laughs> Joseph Osmondson. Yeah, um, that's really more of like uh, the read. Oh, my God. The read. The read. Is so, <laughs> so long. long. We love so you. Long. Shout out to the read. We love you. I love the read, but we that is you. my one barrier to entry. I've never had a spare two hours in my life. Anyway. Uh, I will start. I I mean, I have an infamous one that maybe a lot of people have already heard before if they know my body of work. But um, years ago, I was working at an advertising agency, working as a strategist and a copywriter. um, And I was I mean the soul had been like sucked out of my body during my the year that I was there I was like you know writing social copy for like Banana Republic and like Old Navy (laughs) and like I I was doing so at about the exact same time that Trump had just been elected president great great and so you know I would be like sitting at home I would be like sitting at work um you know writing you know you know Hallmark holiday greeting card social media copy copy and then, like, you know, Trump would, you know, tweet the trans military ban. And I would I was like, what? Like, what? Like, what? What am I doing with my life if 
this is going on and I'm sitting here. Mm-hmm. Like, am I going to look back at this moment and, and be proud of the things that I was making? And so I, I had a, a very, like, come to Jesus moment um, where I kind of quit my Come job. to whom? Come to Jesus. Uh, <laughs> come I, to share. Uh, come to share. Uh, oh, my God. I came to Tracy Ellis Ross. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, I our Lord and Savior. Tracy Ellis Ross. Oh, my God. Make every, stop it. Um, but anyways, I, I, I quit. Um, I quit wow. the hell out of Did you of have job. another job? And Nope. No job ahead of me. Ooh. No opportunities ahead of me. No guaranteed work ahead of me. Not just that. I, like, quit kind of on gross terms. Like, I was, like, you know, I my boss was, was like, weird about it. I was, like, not necessarily – I didn't necessarily give them, like, my full two weeks notice. Like, I just, like, got the fuck out of there. Did you have savings? I, I – I mean, not really. If I'm going to be honest, yeah. I didn't have enough savings for what I, I I should have for what I should have prepared for. I definitely did not have enough savings, and on top of that, I definitely didn't necessarily leave in like the most professional way, you know. <laughs> and I just I feel like um, every other anything that I learned up to that point would have taught me to not do that, and I did it anyways, um, mm. solely on a gut feeling. Would you do it differently looking back? No, absolutely not. Mm. Looking back, Mm. I feel like I should have quit sooner. Wow. That's how I feel. (laughs) Um, Looking back, I I spend too much time there. Um, I do have like kind of a career Stockholm syndrome where I stay in the jobs that I I sign on to for longer than I need. Abusive relationships Um, with our jobs. Oh, my God. I've I've done that quite a few times. And I I definitely left, um, I think, having zero regrets. Other than the fact that I stayed there too long. Tommy? Yeah, um, probably when I, uh, as I graduated from undergrad and decided that for the four years that I had been working there, I was working towards going to medical school. Mm-hmm. And once I graduated, I didn't matriculate and I moved to Brooklyn to be a poet. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, that was You were the, probably the, the first person that's ever done that. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, but the thing is, like, my um, my parents, oh, my God, they had spent four years telling the aunties and everybody that I was going to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. And oh. when that wasn't going to happen, it was like, it, it was, you know, I didn't even think as much of, like, where am I going to, how am I going to eat? But I was thinking, like, oh, my God, what are my parents going to say? Aside from eating, I mean, they wanted you to be a doctor, but now you have a PhD in eating ass. <laughs> put the D in PhD. Wait, what the fuck? Um, Call me Dr. But it's, it's, butt. It, <laughs> just kidding. It's I'm done. Them, I'm it's taken them a good 15 years to understand. Right. Mm. And the most beautiful thing happened when I was on tour in April. I actually got to read from my reservation. And they each, like my family members, kind of like... At different points in my journey, they would put their hand on my shoulder and be like, I understand. I get it. I get what you had to do, what you did. But it meant like being, ugh, God. I mean, the thing that you have to sacrifice in order to have a creative quote unquote career is like, in my my MS estimation anyway, was like, I had to sacrifice the idea of stability. Mm. Yeah. And that was really, really difficult. Mm. And then to to just kind of, I mean, I think it's easier at 23 to sort of uh, have the the luster of your youth (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) while at the same time, like living paid 
paycheck to paycheck or whatever. Because like, I don't know, I always thought I just I had a lot of faith in my ability. I had a lot. Well, I had a lot of faith in my ability to get better. Mm. Not in my I, I, right, I don't right, I'm right, not right, satisfied right. with my writing ever. But mm-hmm. I all I know if I pay attention, if I listen, if I yeah. read hard and if I have great conversations, the writing is going to get better. Get better but that yeah. also yeah. depends on how much time I sit in the chair and do that thing. Right. <laughs> um, and I didn't know that I didn't know I could not have envisioned um, the kind of career that I would have. I just kind of like, I took a leap of faith. And for a long time there, I thought I was going to have to go back home, you know? Um, so uh, it, it was impractical, but I, ugh, I don't know. In a weird way, I felt like if I didn't do it, if I didn't try, I would regret it for the rest of my life. Mm. Tommy, I yeah. have a question. Do you think you could have been a doctor and a poet? I don't think I could have been a doctor because of the way I left um, I, I left my ambition. It was mostly because up until then I had mm. kind of um, an idealistic view of what medicine could do. Um, mm. I was working, I mean, I was at Sarah Lawrence. And so there was, I was at this, like, they're really known for their genetic counseling program. It's like one of the best genetic counseling programs in the country. And so I did a lot of work with genetics and an under, I was like trying to uncover the genetic basis of diabetes yeah. because mm. it's one of the biggest, um, it's like an endemic health problem in Indian country. And I thought if I solve diabetes, then I'll just be the greatest. You know what I mean? I'm looking out for the community. Fair. I mean, yes, fair. I mean, yeah, um, that is correct. Absolutely. Yes, but then I. But the more work that I did, the more I realized how little genetics plays into specifically <laughs> diabetes and type 2 diabetes and yes. how much more it is a product of environments and a product of poverty Systemic and a violence. product of genocide. Yes. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so um, I was like, I, I completely was disillusioned with the whole discipline and I was just like, the thing that I'm doing right now is I'm feeding a money-making industry. They're not trying to cure people. They're trying to keep people sick as long as they possibly can, Mm. because that's where the money's at. And once I saw, I mean, it's not like a revelation that, uh, that an institution created in capitalism is more concerned with capital than it is with health and human bodies. It was, it blew my young mind, you know, it blew my young, like 21 year old mind. And I was just like, oh, so it was completely disillusioned. And I started to think that like, if this disease is social in nature and it's not just diabetes but it's also suicide yeah. and it's also uh, it, it's not it's not necessarily metabolism like um, it's not like a, a, a bodily metabolism but it's some kind of spiritual one mm-hmm. like that's where my that's where my contribution I think could lay and that, that's why I decided to continue writing and, and since then I've had so many young indigenous people come up to me just being like I never read anything like this before right, right, I never right, thought right. a person in my community could be like this I never yeah. thought I could be like this and so mm-hmm. I feel like in a way I've opened corridors of the mind that I couldn't have done in the body. Oh my. When you are making career choices yes. or job related choices that you should be thinking about it as an investment in yourself mm. and thinking about your life from a bird's eye view. So like if you were in this like very, let's say you're this very cuspal moment, you're you're trying to make some sort of career shift, accept some sort of career change, get some sort of promotion, whatever. Think about, you know, what you, how would you view yourself 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now? Mm-hmm. Um, and looking back, what decision would you make? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? What would you be happy that you made that decision? What kind of like, you know, ways is that, is that, um, uh, effort coming back to you. And I feel like it for sure is a thing where you, if you think about it in as investment in the future, uh, that's really important. Like I have a good friend who I um, came to me. She had a job. This was many years ago. She had a job offer. The job offer required taking almost a 50% pay cut. 
Mm. And, the, and the job offer was moving mm. from uh, gallery work to editorial work, right? Arts editorial Ooh. work. Um, but, you know, she had a PhD and like uh, editorial work was an aspect of what she wanted to do moving forward. She had no professional experience on the editorial side. Uh, she hated uh, the type of gallery work that she was doing, even though it paid fairly well. And I counseled her to take the job. To take mm. the job, mm. it helped that she had a partner who was also making money, so that could kind of buffer the price hit. But then she take the job. She took the job. She was there for a couple of years. It was an investment. It was like you don't think about it as a pay cut. It's actually like going to school. Like taking a job like that yep. is actually like getting yeah. an education in that new type of work. Mm-hmm. And then she pivoted from that immediately to a job that paid two and a half times as much. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like building that experience gave her the ability to be like, I have a PhD in the literatures I have gallery experience and now I have editorial experience I can combine that into a job that's actually lucrative so sometimes like a step back actually in terms of salary is just building for the Mm -hmm. investment in the future not to mention you know it's not always about um, becoming lucrative in the long term it's more about like maybe you're more spiritually lucrative you know what I mean like that job will ultimately be more fulfilling to you and there's nothing that can buy that I like as someone who has taken a 50% pay cut twice uh, when I left my job. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like I, I I left to pursue something that it was much more passionate about. Mm-hmm. And both times I was it was detrimental to my bank account. Of course. And mm-hmm. I never regretted it um, yeah. because yeah. that those, you know, very small, quote unquote, investments that actually detracted from my savings um, ultimately got me to be the person that I am today. I have a question, though, like with with the choices like that, Fran, where, you know, you um you make enough to eat and pay your rent and have health insurance mm-hmm. at the job that has the full salary. Mm-hmm. When you make a decision to take the the pay cut, mm-hmm. sometimes that is like you can't support yourself anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like so what is it what does that choice feel like? Does it ever feel like you're choosing between hating your job? And living as a human person. Well, for I mean, for transparency, the first time I did it, I was off my parents' health insurance. Thanks, <laughs> Obama. So um, there were a few reasons why that was more sustainable for me. Right. But I did. De- I mean, I was I was the literal definition of starving artist. I was starving. Um, right. And and <laughs> yeah. and that and, and there was just nothing. There was there was no amount of food. There was no sustainability that would make me feel better than if I was at my soul sucking, you know, book publishing job. Right. Um, that that would make that feel worth it. You know what I mean? I I just like uh I, the 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 pay would never would never be worth it to me, and um that's just the kind of person that I am and how it made sense. Um, but that not be that not that might not be your tea, and that's okay. Um, the second time I did it, I definitely could not necessarily afford my health insurance, and after a year of freelancing, I was like extremely broke. I'm not yeah. gonna lie, um, but I would have. I, I had an opportunity at Out Magazine that scooped me up and, and gave me, you know, a dream job. But if I didn't have that opportunity, I still would be freelancing. Wow. You know, I mm. would still be – I would rather be a starving artist um, and 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 be um, spiritually career and career-wise full, so to speak, and um, mm. feel uh, nourished than to feel like I'm, you know, spiritually starving at a job that's paying me six figures. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? That's because in, in some of these careers that we're talking about, the career trajectory isn't 
necessarily um, st- always strictly hierarchical. You know, and it's not mm. always going to be on. I mean, that was what I kind of left behind with like the whole medical school track was like I had a perfect vision for what the future was going right. to look like. Totally. You know, it's like I have these schools that do this residency and I'm in this hospital and I do this thing. And it yeah. seemed so uh, plain and it seemed so open and it seemed so apprehendable and it seemed so doable. Mm-hmm. And in some of these careers that we're talking about, creative careers or whatever, ones without a ton of stability, but that somehow, you know, can have the opportunity to catapult you into places you never thought you'd be. Um, that it's learning how to embrace the unexpected, totally. both mm-hmm. the setbacks and the opportunities, yeah. mm-hmm. right? I, I, that like yeah. some some of the the things that I've like my friend Morgan Parker one time when when my first book came out, she was just like, "This is going to open you up to some stuff that you never thought you would be in pa- in the path for." And she was like, "Just make sure that like it, the ones that you want to do, you say yes to, but not don't say no out of intimidation." Mm. Mm. So you know, Joe, hopping on something that you said earlier about you know not about wanting to like grow in a specific kind of job or um field and not being able to like I'm someone who you know I should work on this with a therapist but like I'm someone who like I don't see like the next step like I don't want to be there like if I don't see the next level up you know like if I can't vision my life my career my trajectory in front of me that I feel absolutely lost Mm. um that Mm -hmm. um there's something that about that that I'm still learning how to get over um and actually a a, a one Channy Nicholas a friend of the pod um, had a really beautiful (laughs) horoscope for the new moon in Virgo uh, where she said clutter is natural part of life chaos Mm -hmm. chaos is intrinsic an intrinsic aspect of the creative process but the first order of magic is clearing a space for our rituals to take place within creativity needs to roam needs time and space to experience its wildness and it needs no one to tell it what to do or where to be. Mm. It may feel at times like you are in charge of the process, but the real boss is the process itself. Ah, oh my god. How dare you, Jenny Nicholas? But How it's true. Like, oh my god. You feel That's like you're bad. in control and you are yeah. not. That's and like the bottom. The work line. will get done. Exactly. Like if the work is calling you, you could have 17 jobs. Like the work will get done. It's, it's just it's, it just might not be it might not get done in the way you yeah, think it will. But yeah, that's, ugh, just get that's it. That's part. Ugh. Thank you, Shani. Ugh, just ruined my life. Mmm, I'm feeling full, but like I could put one more thing inside of me. Dennis knows how I feel. Oh. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this week, we're, our dessert is uh, wearing heels. Ooh, uh, right. yeah. Dennis. Yes. So how do you feel about wearing heels, Dennis? Oh, my God. Okay. So I'm going to take you back very briefly to um, little child Denden. Because um, because here's the thing. As as a little gay boy, um, future non-binary femme... I was obsessed with wearing heels and I never got to. Like, I, I have a father and a brother in my family, but I have a mother and two sisters and I was around people wearing heels all the time, especially because I primarily went to black churches and it was very important to dress up. So, like, people were wearing heels all the time. And so for me, I was obsessed with the sound of heels, like, on a hardwood floor, it's on a, a tile really floor. It's a really good sound. It's a really good sound. It made me... It, it felt like a powerful sound. Maybe I associated it with my mother, who I felt was a very powerful woman, but it was a really powerful sound. I thought this was crazy. Like, I thought this was an insane thing. And when I got to college, I actually took a course my freshman year, a sociology course by a professor named Bill Hohenstein. And 
he Hohenstein. Hohenstein. You say Hohenstein. That's excellent. Hohenstein, um, who is a dear professor to the Haverford community. May he rest in peace. <laughs> and um, and he had done some sort of sociological experiments that he even filmed, where he walked in spaces in high heels and interviewed the people who heard them, and they all talked about associating the sound with power. He would mm. also do this in drag. He would he would wear wigs. He would wear. Um, who would wear pantyhose. And so this was the first time that I began to understand that there might be a sort of sociological um, um, theory behind what I had always felt. But the point is that as I began to embrace my non-binary identity in the last year, year and a half, I have become someone who wears heels on a regular basis. And mm-hmm. even when I'm wearing otherwise like sort of boy clothes, I love to walk down the street in a pair of heels. It makes me feel strong. It makes me feel powerful. It makes me feel like I can take on the world. And I'm not the only thought at the table who is wearing more and more heels. So I'm curious to turn it to you guys mm. and to hear more about what you think. Tommy, you wear heels all the time. Don't you love heels? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't really claim them. I can't say that this is my dessert. Uh, I don't like anything that makes me any taller than I already am because that would mean I have to put all of those other, uh, that entire um, swath of, of uh, men out of my dating pool. I'm trying to keep the pool afloat. You know what I mean? I'm trying <laughs> to keep it at the eight feet. I'm not trying to keep it at the shallow end. So I'm going to try to get something that makes me a little bit short. Order, right. you know what but mean? would you would you date would you date a man who was six one and wore heels to make him six four? Oh, absolutely! Yes. Yes. Optics, bitch. Yes. <laughs> I will say, uh, yes. it, you know, going off what Tommy just said, uh, getting fucked by a man in heels is just heaven. Oh my god, mm. I've never experienced. Oh that. yeah, my my ex was a short king, as we like to call them on this show. <laughs> I, and, I, oh, yeah. uh, and you know, he was like five six. But was like a verse top, mostly topped, uh, and and just the. I had asked him for a long time, like plow me in your heels. He wore heels for uh-huh. work a lot, but for him it was like a thing where because he wore heels for work, he didn't like to wear them at home. But oh, I would, that's no fun. so exactly. But I was like, he finally, he finally on like my birthday, like plowed me in heels, and oh, it, it was so that's so, sweet. so that's sweet. great. I but he I literally um, took one for the team, so you took can one take for the, one. Thank you, thank you. I've definitely fucked a guy with like a stiletto manicure before, like <laughs> pointy ass. Like, but yeah, I know it now. Yeah. Heels is a new fantasy of mine. Um, I have, oh, I have it's... at this point, I've fucked men, a man wearing heels myself. I do wear heels. I love. I always wanted to be six foot. W- Six foot tall, and in my heels, I'm like six one, six two. Yeah, I just I love the height that it gives me. I also yeah. feel powerful in them for sure. I have gotten you know a lot of um, uh, gay uh, slurs hurled at me when I wear them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is mm-hmm. a you know makes you very visibly queer, particularly yeah. when I present as a cis man and then I'm wearing heels. Uh, but yeah, it it almost feels like a coat of uh, armor in a way. It really is. Um, it really, is. I mean, as a as a big footed bitch, it's like real hard <laughs> to like buy heels for myself. Same, um, it's so hard. Yeah, like, but yeah. but you know, you find them if you if you uh, like if you want a pair of heels, go to shopsero.com. S Y R O. They're amazing heels, uh, amazing genderless heels for people of all foot size. Yes, um, but also sinful heels and other a bunch of yeah. other places you can get um, big ass heels. Um, I. I love to wear heels um, specifically for meetings and power work functions, especially yeah. a, a nice, <laughs> sensible looking heel that like blends in with my all black outfit. But um, mm-hmm. uh, I just always feel I just love the click clack similar to Dennis. The click clack is so everything. I will feel the like one thing, I'm never going to get 
over bigfooted bitch. Truly, the one thing I miss about the the last job I had is that I would wear heels and I would walk down the hall and it was a long ass hall and it was uh, silent and the sa- I felt so powerful like marching into my CEO's office, marching into my boss's office, and it felt that. like I can say I could say whatever I wanted. It was the best thing. <laughs> Wait, Dennis, you had something telling you in your brain that you couldn't say whatever you wanted to someone. I yeah, don't understand. I do not understand. She just needed a little extra affirmation. But yes, yeah, so we are we are here for heels. We are here for non-binary presentation. And we want all of you all to um embrace that too and try it out. You never know. You may like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Also, yeah. I will say that you know, just because you're wearing heels doesn't make you a feminist. <laughs> but oh, yeah. <laughs> also, <laughs> also like that's true. Yes, I mean, there are also like a lot of like cis men that like wear heels to Fire Island. They think they're they they like invented exactly gender. Yes. Exactly. Yes. You know, I and just it's like I cannot. No, it's like it like is where so. walking down like Fifth Avenue in the middle of the afternoon, like where like like in Midtown, wear it there, and then tell me what what but you it, are. Ugh, it's just it's so it feels so good, and I love yeah. the way my calves get sore mm-hmm. in different places yeah, from wearing heels. I feel like it's a calf workout yeah. and a shoe at the same time. Exactly. This has become a Skechers commercial. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we love heels. Thank you. Bye. This episode of Food for Thought is made possible by the generous, unequivocal support of Rosé and our new home at iHeartRadio. Our producer is the goddess of the sports bra, Alexandra (laughs) De Palma. Let's see it. She just showed it. Our social media manager is the bottom of our lives, Christina Tucker. (laughs) Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or Joe will never do another gym Insta story again. No, please God, no. Please God, no. Oh, no, please. No, please. Don't subscribe. They are unnecessary. Uh, I'm Tommy Teebs Pico. You can find me at Hey Teebs, H-E-Y-T-E-E-B-S on all relevant social media. I'm Joseph Osmondson. You can find me at www.josephosmondson.com. And I'm Fran. You can find me at Fran Squish Co. on lots of social media and also Venmo if you want. And I'm Dennis Norris II. And you can find me on Twitter at the Earl Denden, T-H-E-E-A-R-L-D-E-N-D-E-N. Find us on Instagram as Gay Sluts Who Read and join us on Facebook and Twitter at Food for Thought Pod, where each week we pin some questions at the top of our page to continue the discussion of this week's main topic. Sign up for our newsletter to see a list of everything we're reading and some mm. extra delectable content at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. And finally, send your questions, thoughts, concerns, and dick pics to thoughts at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. As always, that's food, the number four, and thoughts spelled how? T-H-O-T. Thank you. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.